this week before Christmas. As Doug announced that service will be on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning, so we would invite you to join together with us on Saturday night. We're going to have a great time together. It's going to be a little abbreviated service. We'll have some cookies and hot chocolate afterwards. There's not going to be child care because it's going to be shorter, but we would love for you to join with us next weekend on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. So love to have you there. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 67 or 68. Luke 1, 67. We want to hear about how Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, how he sang when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's read God's word together. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you each and every day. We, we need you to show us yourself, to reveal the freedom that's found in you. God, would you help us refocus our thoughts, our minds, Lord? There's so many distractions during this season right now, Lord, and I pray that, that we would focus on the great freedom that we have in you because of you. Jesus, would you be with us this morning? Would you awaken our hearts and minds, open our ears? Would you give us your inspiration by your Holy Spirit through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a teenager, I thought that I had too many constraints. And if you're a teenager here, maybe you feel the same way. Or maybe you did when you were younger, you felt like you had way too many constraints. Maybe you were raised in a stricter household. And so uh, because I had to conform with outward standards of righteousness, I thought that was just too much. It was too difficult. It, I needed to kind of get rid of those things. Then I went to military school, and it didn't get freer. There were more constraints, rules, more guidelines that I needed to follow. But I thought what I needed was freedom. And so I sought that freedom in several different ways. I, I stole my brother's driver's license when he was 21 and I was 16. And I thought that freedom would come through being the life of the party. And doing whatever's pleasing to me. I thought it would come from sneaking out from school at lunch because I had access to the keys that, that were kept in the commandant's office because I was a class officer and so I took those keys and we would sneak out during lunch. I thought freedom would come through doing those things through partying. I, I thought that when I turned 18 that freedom would come by getting out from my parents' house and freedom would come when I didn't have to abide by their rules and I could be my own man, do my own thing, live on my own. 
I didn't realize that it also came with some responsibilities too. It came with some bills. It wasn't the kind of freedom that I thought it would be. The very things that I thought would be freedom for me ended up often being the very opposite of the freedom that I sought. And it took several years to learn that it wasn't freedom. The things I thought that would bring me freedom really were bringing me bondage and enslavement. They were bringing the things that weighed me down. Being away from my parents' house meant being weighed down by bills and worries and cares that I wasn't prepared for at 18 even though I knew everything. So what does freedom mean for you? For, for many people today, freedom, it often means freedom to be whoever you want to be, however you want to be, to define yourself, freedom to be on your own, to do what you want, freedom from constraints of all kinds. Sometimes freedom means that you need finances to be able to pursue, to be free to do what you want to do. So you pursue those things. And so often people who pursue freedom through finances ended up being enslaved to finances to pursuing riches what's real freedom what does freedom mean to you what does freedom mean for you what kind of freedom do you seek in the first half of this passage Zechariah he is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he prophesies about what freedom is he doesn't use the terms freedom but he uses it different terms to describe really what God's people were longing for he uses words like salvation and rescue Redemption. All those, those words have to do with freedom. And, and so we see that freedom is, is really found in those things. Freedom is found in redemption. Freedom is found in salvation. And freedom is found in rescue. And that's, that's what Zechariah is singing about. That's the, really the first half of our chapter, or of our passage in, in verses 68 to 75, is that, that freedom, it's found in redemption. It's, it's freedom is salvation. Freedom is rescue. You see, Elizabeth, his wife, had been barren. They didn't have any children. They were very old. And an angel came and prophesied to them, to, to Zechariah, when he was actually serving as a priest. Before God, he was serving as the high priest does once a year, going and making an atonement in the Holy of Holies. And an angel appeared to him, scared him very badly. And when the angel appeared, he says, you're going to have a son. And so in Luke 1.13, he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You will call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness and many rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great before the Lord. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. But Zechariah didn't believe at first. We know the story. He, he didn't believe the angel to begin with. And so the angel says, because you didn't believe God, because you didn't believe me, I'm the angel of God, you didn't have faith that God could actually intervene into your situation that seemed barren, that seemed hopeless, because you didn't believe that God could make something from nothing. Because you didn't believe my words, I'm going to make you mute. And so Zechariah is mute until John was born. And so that's where our passage is found. It's, it's fine right after the birth of their son. Now the son hasn't been named yet. Typically, the father would bestow the name, and yet Zechariah was mute. He couldn't do that. It's the eighth day now, and it's the time when the baby would be circumcised and the name would be proclaimed. Zechariah still couldn't speak, so everybody's wondering, and they're gathering together for this celebration time. They're, they're wondering what's going to happen. This, this baby is going to have to be a great baby because we know that something happened with Zechariah, that an angel must have appeared to him, and what kind of baby will this be, is what they ask. 
And what's his name? And so they ask Elizabeth, what's his name? And they, they think that maybe it's a relative's name because you would inherit a relative's name. And she, she said, no, John. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. And so they go to ask Zechariah. And then he says, his name is John. And through that act of submission and obedience and faith that the baby would be who God said he would be, his mouth is opened up and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies. And the content of his prophecy is to bless God. Not that God needs our blessing, but it's to declare that God is blessed. And he declares why God's blessed. And he declares that God is blessed because he gives us redemption. But did you notice how he puts it? He says, he has visited us and accomplished redemption. Zechariah, through the Holy Spirit, is writing about the fact that it's already done. He knows that Mary is already pregnant with the Lord. And so he sees it as done. He has visited us. God has visited us in, in, in the person of his son. And he's, he's already accomplished redemption for his people. Freedom is redemption, after all. If you were a slave your entire life, and somebody said, I'll go, I will pay the price for you. I'll buy you as a slave, but instead of making you my slave, I will set you free. You would see that as the wonderful effects of redemption, which is true freedom. And so he, he speaks about how God has accomplished redemption for his people. Now this is amazing because up until this time, for 400 years prior, no one has prophesied. No, there's been no prophet. And now he speaks of the fact that, that a prophet's coming. It's his son is going to be the prophet. And his son is going to speak of redemption because God has visited us and he's accomplished redemption already. Even though Jesus hadn't been born yet, Zechariah was prophesying about the redemption that he's already brought about. But for the Jews in John the Baptist's day and Zechariah's day, they were very aware of a need for redemption. Redemption, it would have meant political freedom. It would have meant economic freedom because they were oppressed by the Romans. They had no ability to do what they wanted, to go where they wanted. They, they weren't in control over their own destiny, their own land. And so for them, they looked for redemption as something else. They looked for redemption as being bought away from the Romans. Freed from the oppression of these foreign rulers. Free to live in their land as they wanted Maybe freedom to worship as they wanted, but what was most irksome from them is that they had to live under the rule of Rome. But Zechariah, he prophesies of redemption, that he has already accomplished redemption. To, to redeem something is to, to buy that back at a cost, to, to release from bondage through a payment of a price, to gain possession of something in exchange for payment. So what does it mean when he says he's already redeemed his people. Zechariah wasn't talking about the kind of redemption that people thought they needed, but he was prophesying about redemption from slavery. From slavery, not just like they experienced under the Egyptians, not like they were experiencing in the Romans, but slavery to freedom from slavery to something even bigger. Enslavement to sin, enslavement to the world, to the devil. And he sings of that. And he sings about fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies about salvation. In verse 69, he says, he's raised up a horn of salvation. Now for us, what does that mean? A horn of salvation? We're like, is that something you blow? But in biblical times, a horn was symbolic of strength because uh, an animal's strength was found in its horns. An ox had these huge horns, and when they tossed their head back and forth, it was a, shine, a sign and a show of power. 
And so Zechariah prophesies and says, you've raised up this horn, this, this one that was prophesied about from of old. In 2 Samuel 7, it says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. It's a prophecy to David. It says, when your days are filled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the prophecy of one who would, who would be raised up from the house of David. This strong salvation. This strong deliverer. The one who shows his strength and shows his power. This salvation that's needed is only found in the one who is the horn of salvation, the one who is our strength to save. And, and what's the purpose of this salvation? It says to save us from all of our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. They were aware that they had many enemies. The enemies might have been Herod, it might have been the Roman government, might have been all the forces around them. Is this from the hand of people who hate us? Who are your enemies? Who do you think of as your enemies? Who, who's your greatest enemy that you need freedom from? Who are the enemies of those, the hand of those who hate us? What do you think of as your enemy? That's what we need salvation from, is our true enemy, those who hate us. And notice that salvation here, it's, it's mentioned here in verse 71, but it's also mentioned again in verse 77. And then we see that mercy is mentioned in verse 72, and then it's, it's mentioned again in verse 78. And we see that, that God visiting us is seen in verse 68 and 78. And so Zechariah, he's showing us here, we need mercy, we need salvation, we need, we need what only God can bring. We need God to visit us. To show mercy towards our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The, the oath that he swore to Abraham their father. In Genesis 17, 7 he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through the generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. The covenant that God was faithful to was the promise to Abraham. The promise that, that he would bring them into their own land. But did you notice what salvation was for? Look in verse 74. This salvation, this redemption, this rescue, what, what was the goal of it? It says, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Now, you might think it's a little strange because how is rescue and redemption, how does that equal serving? They've been rescued from the hand of their enemies. They've been rescued from Egypt. They've been rescued from all of the oppression in their past. But now they're in a place that doesn't feel like they've been rescued. They're in a place that they need to be rescued from their enemies. And not so they can be free to live as they want, but rescued so that they might serve the Lord without fear. And holiness and righteousness before all our days. The reason why they needed liberation was so that they could worship God freely. Not so that they could worship themselves. Not so they could go their own way. And God's granted us this same kind of freedom so we can serve him without fear. You know, freedom is, is not being free to live as we want. Freedom is not being free to define ourselves. Actually, those things are the things that lead to our enslavement, that lead to bondage. 
But freedom, it's found in the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins through the sunrise on high. That's, that's what he tells us in verses 76 through 79, is that, that freedom, it's found in the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins through sunrise on high. Imagine that you were a fish. Might be a little difficult to imagine. Maybe you're not so good underwater. Maybe you're not so good holding your breath. But imagine that you were a fish and you were swimming in the ocean and you look up and you see this blue sky and, and you see land and all you can dream about is being free to live on the land, free to go out and experience the sunlight, free to, to wander about as you will. And so then you hope for that freedom, and one day you decide that you're going to jump out of the water. And you jump out of the water onto dry land, only to realize that you can't breathe because you weren't designed that way. Because your gills don't breathe oxygen. And then you realize that you really can't walk around and enjoy things on land because you don't have legs, you don't have arms, you don't have the ability to enjoy those things. So then you end up dying on land. That which you thought would bring freedom didn't bring freedom at all. That's... That is much like us as humans. When we desire to live according to our own rules, live as we want, we think we find freedom there. But it's, it's just as enslaving as a fish trying to breathe air. That's not freedom at all. Freedom is found in the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. He says through sunrise that comes on high. The Jews in Zechariah's day, they were looking for a freedom that was political, that was military, that was economic, maybe personal freedoms that they wanted to enjoy. What kind of freedoms do you look for? Where do you think you'll find freedom? We want to be saved often from bad situations. We want to be saved from illness, from trouble, from economic hardships, from political domination maybe. We want justice, we want social reformation. We think that freedom will become as, as we find all those things. But the freedom that he's prophesying about doesn't come through those things. It starts somewhere. It starts with deliverance from sin. The freedom we need is even greater than those minor things that we think will bring us freedom that bring enslavement. It's freedom to serve God without fear. You see, sin actually enslaves us and makes it so that we're slaves to sin so we're no longer able to live as how, we're, how we've been designed. God designed us originally to be with him, to walk with him, to have a relationship with him. God designed us so that we would know him and enjoy him and worship him with every part of all that we are. And yet sin keeps us from knowing God. It keeps us from being with God. It separates us from a relationship with God. It ensnares us, it entangles us, it weighs us down. The things that being free from God actually gets us the very opposite. It's like a fish jumping out of water. It doesn't get us what we think it will. It gets us death. And he tells us how freedom will come. And freedom will come, funnily enough, he doesn't speak this whole psalm. He barely talks about his own son. This is the birth of his son that he is at. This is, this is the eighth day. He's declaring his son's name. But he only briefly in verse 76 mentions his son. And he says, and you child, speaking of his son, he says, will be prophet of the most high. 
And he tells why. Why is he singing now? Because he says, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. John will be a prophet. He will speak God's voice where God's voice had not been heard for 400 years prior. Interestingly enough, that the last prophecy from God in the Old Testament was in Malachi. Malachi 4, verse 5 God prophesied and says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter desolation. God would send his prophet now, John. And John would come in the spirit of Elijah. Luke 1, 16, 17 told us that. It says, He'll turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. John now is the prophet who would go in the spirit and power of Elijah. What? To turn the hearts of the people back to him, to turn their hearts away from following their own ways, away from doing whatever they want, and turn them back to the Lord. And and that's done through, freedom is found through, in verse 77 it tells us, through the knowledge of salvation, by the forgiveness of sins. You see, year after year they would have to come and make sacrifices, year after year, and they could never be free from their sins. That was what was keeping them from unencumbered worship before God. We were made to worship him. We were made to be before God's face. We were made to be in communion with him. But sin keeps us from that. And so now salvation only comes through the forgiveness of sins. As we see that all the things that separate us from God have been removed, have been forgiven. John wouldn't save the people. No man can save but Christ himself. Only one can forgive of sins. That's what Jesus, that we celebrate during the season, he's called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins, it says in Matthew 1, 21. And and why would God give us freedom from sins? Not because we've earned it, not because we've been good enough, not because we somehow have done enough things to earn his favor. No, it says he's proclaiming, he's going to proclaim Salvation that comes through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercies of God. Because of the tender mercies of God. Just like we saw in verse 72, it talks about God's mercy coming. And the tender mercies come from God when, when, when the sunrise visits us from on high. He says, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. What is this sunrise he's talking about? He's talking about the sun, the son of God, visiting us, being light to us, opening up our darkened eyes and our minds. The things that we thought would bring us freedom actually brought us darkness, and we need his sun to shine from on high. Israel was like a wandering, lost people in the desert. At night, hopeless, alone, helpless, unable to find their way. They needed sunrise from on high. They needed needed to be able to see the light of the truth of God. And yet they were helpless to do that on their own. They were blinded by darkness. I used to wander around in tunnels underneath of our city when I was a kid. And these tunnels would be very long and you'd see this, you'd go for a long time walking in darkness, stumbling around. If there was something in the tunnel, you would trip, you'd fall, you'd bump into your friends, you'd bump into the walls. It, you couldn't see where you were going. And then finally, in the distance, you would see this, this light kind of peak. 
this little pinprick of light, and you just kind of walk towards the light. And then finally, the light of the day would come, and you were free to walk about, to not stumble, to not trip, and it was easier to make your way. We are trapped by sin. We are enslaved. We're, we're like those underground in a tunnel, but with no entrance, and yet we need the sunrise to shine on us. He says to shine in verse 79 on those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What's the sunrise he's talking about? He's talking about the sunrise from on high that's none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus the sun. Isaiah prophesied about the same kind of visitation using the same kind of language. In Isaiah 9-2 he says the people who walked in darkness they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them light has shined. What was the darkness that they were in? The darkness wasn't oppression from without. It was sin. It was the darkness that clouded their eyes that separated them from God. That they needed that veil to be lifted. The veil that blocked their way from worshiping God. They needed all of that to be parted. Malachi 4.2, the last prophet before John, he says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's where freedom is found, in the Son of Righteousness. And in that freedom is meant to, to give us joy so that we go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a newborn calf, and, and the very first, when they're given that freedom when the gate is opened up and they go kicking and they're a little bit crazy. It's the picture of joy and that's the picture here of what the freedom that we get from the Son of Righteousness brings. Second Peter 1, Peter tells us, he says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What kind of freedom are you seeking? What kind of freedom do you want? Freedom is found in salvation that comes from forgiveness of sins through the sunrise of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself told us in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus testifies again. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things to the church, for the churches. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Where do you look to for freedom? Who do you look to for freedom? Where do you think freedom will be found? Freedom is found in looking to the one who is the sunrise, the one who's the bright morning star, the one who frees us from darkness, who frees us from slavery, who brings deliverance, who brings rescue, who brings true freedom so that we can worship God. Not free to do whatever we want, but free to be who we're created to be. No matter what you might have done, no matter what you've been caught up in, he is the one who is powerful to save. He's the one who's powerful to rescue. He is the one who's powerful to bring freedom. No matter how terrible or how disgusting or how dark you're feeling, he is the sunrise. He's the bright morning star. He's the one who, who burns away the darkness. 
Hebrews 7 says, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. He's the one who has fulfilled all of God's promises. He's the one who's accomplished redemption. He's the one who's accomplished freedom. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 23. He's the great shepherd. And when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of darkness, we need fear no evil because he is the one who is with us. He will comfort us. He will lead us and guide us. Or put it another way, he'll guide our feet, as this passage says in verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Not the kind of peace that's fleeting, but the kind of peace that's found in freedom in him. Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He doesn't just lead us to a temporary peace. He leads us into peace in himself. Peace that's found with with no barriers between us and God. Peace that's found in walking with him. Peace that's found in communion with him. Peace that's found in fellowship with him. Peace that's found in freedom to live for him, to serve him with our whole lives. Not just the absence of trouble or difficulty or strife, but the presence of abiding rest, peace in his presence. A peace that surpasses all understanding. It keeps our hearts and minds in him. Where do you look to for freedom? Where do you look to for peace? Where do you look to for rescue, for redemption? Look to the sun, the bright morning star. True freedom is found in him, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us not look to any other place or any other person or any other thing for freedom. God, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that's set before us freely. Let's run freely without any encumbrances in you. Free because you've saved us. Free because we put our hope and our trust in you. Free because you've rescued us from sin and slavery to sin. Lord, free because you've freed us from your wrath and punishment. Free because now we can come boldly before your throne. We can come into your presence and we can worship you, Lord. So may we run with that kind of freedom. God, I pray that those who don't know you would would long for freedom in you and that you would grant them that freedom. God, I pray for all of us that if that becomes so easily distracted looking for freedom in other things, Lord, that we would turn and find freedom in you and peace in your way. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. We're grateful that you'd gather, grateful that you worship together. May God bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you.